Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 263. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. So good to see you again. Good to see you after a little break. It, yes, it, uh, we'll both have both been traveling, but we'll chat about that momentarily. Yeah, yeah. On today's show, After our chit-chat, we're going to answer a bunch of questions sent in from our patrons, including those about, why did you say high-frequency treatments are a gimmick? That's directed at you, Perry. Oh, yeah. And does letting hair stay damp cause more damage? And, of course, we have our chit-chat, and we'll do some beauty science news. A little short episode today. You've been traveling. I'm currently traveling Honestly, I just got back from, uh, you know, a 10 plus hour drive. So <laughs> I'm a little zonked here. And, and you I'm just got a... back from a day in the, what, the factory? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm at our hair color factory, which is in a completely different time zone than Los Angeles. And I am so tired. We had a mechanical delay on the plane oh, no. when we oh, flew plane, here. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, they're just long days getting there super early and LA's three hours behind. So it's just really, really early and I work late and I have to be back at 6am tomorrow. So just lots of work to do. And then I fly home. I won't land until midnight. So super long day tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, the, the effort we put into the, getting this show out every week, is just, (laughs) (laughs) what was us? (laughs) Yeah. Here from my hotel room. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm at the Hair Color Factory. Where were you traveling? I was uh, staying in Austin for a week, uh, and Austin is a fabulous city. Uh, it is a, a growing city, but you know, it's nice. It's got the city vibe like a Chicago, where there's tall buildings and such, and there's a downtown. But you drive like 15 minutes out, and there are wineries and uh, open fields, and uh, there's a lot of open space there, so it's very cool. It, I also had this notion that Texas was pretty much just a big, giant desert. <laughs> and, you know, okay, the central part is not. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not true. Yeah, I've, I've been to other parts of Texas, but um, I really want to go to Austin. I can't wait to go one oh, day. Austin is great. I did learn two things on my trip, which yeah. were almost uh, earth-shattering for me. First of all, uh, the river that runs through Austin is called the Colorado River. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, that Colorado River must be really long if it's in Austin and it goes all the way to California. Well, it turns out there are two Colorado Rivers. They're not the same. <laughs> okay. So, well, that's I didn't so, know that. Yeah. That was news. That's, okay. That shouldn't be allowed. That shouldn't be allowed. I think the one in Texas was named first, so go figure. <laughs> all right. But here is the more earth-shattering thing to me. Throughout my youth, I had grown up with this idea in my head that the longest river in the United States was the Mississippi River. Right. I mean, that's what we learned at school. It's not. The Missouri River is the longest river in the United States. Oh, you know what? I think I did know that. Yeah. I I didn't know that. I mean, this is earth shattering for me. So as you can tell, I learned a lot about rivers on my trip to Austin. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I learned a lot about gua sha while you were gone. Remember, I was going to go get my treatment. 
Gua, oh, what I call Gua Sha? <laughs> Gua Sha, yes. Gua Sha, yeah. Oh, Gua Sha, Gua Sha, yeah. You know, and I, I you know, uh, of course, uh, Tarsha, who uh, owns Violet Hour Skin, this is her uh, spa that I went to, and she performed this Gua Sha service on me. Uh, she, you know, didn't say you were totally wrong about Gua Sha. She did listen to the oh. show, so. Oh, Oh, yeah, but I'll tell you what, I don't know why I wasn't doing this sooner. Really? It, it was... was incredible. It was so relaxing, very subtle movements. I heard crackling in, in my skin uh, from moving the fluid around. Uh, it was absolutely incredible, and um, I really loved it. And we got to chit-chat a lot about ingredients. Um, oh, nice. Natasha, who goes by Tarsh, uh, the owner, as I mentioned, she is into making her own products. So we chatted a lot about ingredients. She's a huge jojoba oil fan. And so am I. So yeah, we had a lot to talk about. And she can go to simply-ingredients.com <laughs> to uh, get some, right? Well, you know, she put together a little care package for me. Um, and oh, I want to nice. put together uh, with one for her without my ingredients in it and do that the next time oh. I see her. But anyway, I'm like totally hooked. I'm like already jade rolling every night. Um, I, I get my gua sha tool hopefully in a couple weeks. As a reminder, it's what you it's a massage for your face, sort of? Yeah, but it's not really like rubbing. It's just like oh. pushing, pushing fluid. Gotcha. Pushing. Yeah. Okay. You know, you should you should do it. It was incredible. I was just like, oh, I'm so relaxed. I loved it. Pushing fluid, that would be a good band name. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. That's, if anyone is thinking about starting a band, you can have that name for free. <laughs> That's free. <laughs> anyway, no TM on how, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about some beauty science news? Let's do it. Okay, so the first thing I saw this week that I thought was really interesting, only because I feel like uh, you know sustainability and environmental stewardism is all the rage right now, and of course, you know companies are exploiting it, obviously, and Allure which is a magazine, not a brand. We'll call them a publication. Uh, sure. They will no longer call plastic packaging recyclable. And that was a part of their sustainability pledge. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. And, you know, I had just happened to watch a video on plastic recycling, and it was just the history of it and how the, like, the plastics society or whatever, the plastic, uh, it was the the front group for big plastic, I guess. But... Um, when they came out with Earth Day, they made like a recycling symbol, which is the arrows. Yeah. And then the plastic industry made one that looks the same. It's very similar, but it has numbers in the middle. And that sort of was designed to kind of trick consumers into thinking that all that stuff is recyclable, when in fact, almost none of it is recyclable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they you know, have said, uh, you know, they want to take sustainability seriously. And while many plastics are capable of being recycled and are recyclable, you know, let's say by the letter of the law, the reality is that most of them never are. And you can actually go to, um, you know, the United States government has a website where you can go and look at the different uh, waste and utilities and, and all that stuff. Um, and very little, uh, Allura cites 9% of all plastic waste ever produced um, has been recycled. And they posted uh, another Allure article. That was the reference that they posted. Sorry, but you're not recycling 
beauty products as much as you think. And that was something they posted for Earth Day in 2020. Yeah, so I actually thought Allura would reference something from the federal government with actual statistics, but they just referenced another article. Anyway, nonetheless, they go through uh, from Earth Day this year and they say they're no longer going to use the word green in reference to like something being environmentally friendly. It'll only be something that's literally redone in color. Biodegradable won't be used unless they're extremely specific about what it means. Uh, They'll only use compostable in certain uh, vernacular uh, they'll never talk about anything uh, being zero waste. Uh, I mean, it was kind of cool that they actually went through and defined these things because as a magazine that makes money from brands, brands advertising, from them talking about brands, and the brands are the ones doing all this greenwashing, I thought it was really interesting that Allure said they weren't going to do it. They weren't going to participate That's in interesting. That, so. We'll see if they're able to because there's a lot of uh, brands that embrace this uh notion of sustainability and recycling and you know the circular uh economy yeah Uh, and when we know a lot of elements of what's supposed to be the circular economy uh really aren't as uh buttoned down as people like to make it seem yeah no for sure and uh i'm really glad they're taking a stand it made me feel really good now they have to stick to it of course and they have to not partake in other things hopefully but i hope that's a wake-up call to brands that they just can't can't do what they want yeah we'll we'll see if they keep it up <laughs> we'll, we'll keep an eye on you Allure. <laughs> we'll see well i saw a piece of research that was published over in happy about research that was published in the american psychological association journal of experimental and clinical psychopharmacology <laughs> and you know what the topic is all about doesn't sound doesn't sound like a real publication but <laughs> keep going well the topic is our good old friend cbd you know cbd is making its way into all kinds of products and cosmetics are no exception um in but in in fact, what a lot of cosmetic chemists have claimed is that CBD does nothing. All right, not a lot of them, just me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not that I don't think it necessarily does. We've talked about this before. I'm on a, a medicine, and they warn you about uh, CBD and THC having, you know, contraindications uh-huh. with it. And you know, I've I've put CBD on my skin before uh, just to try it and and felt really strange. So I don't know if it was psychological or not, but uh, we should cut that out of the show. Uh, It's not that I don't think it does nothing. I just don't think the proof is there. So uh, when I saw this article, I was really excited because, well, I mean, as the article claims, which I would believe it's the first experimental pain study of CBD in humans. Yeah, so that Hard is... Hard to believe, huh? Right, that is essentially the first experimental pain study in humans using CBD led by uh, researchers at Syracuse. And they conclude that CBD pain relief is driven by both pharmacological action and, surprise, surprise, psychological placebo effects. Um, wah, wah. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> How can it be both? Uh, I think yeah. it could be both because there's a huge story about CBD uh, and there's a big marketing push. In fact, they say that the top, the CBD topicals market is expected to grow to what, $4.5 billion? Uh, That's what Happy says. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, now, if you consider that the entire cosmetic industry worldwide is about $450 billion, uh, so that's about 1% of the industry is using CBD, but 
does seem like a lot, huh? Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the real question is if there's pharmacological action, should this even be in cosmetics? Maybe we should take that whole $4.5 billion out of that cosmetics industry. What do you think? Well, that is the biggest problem I see with CBD. Um, the the claims of it being a cosmetic ingredient um, do not fit the claims of what it's supposed to do. So it's supposed to be anti-inflammatory, which would technically make it a drug. It's supposed to be pain relief, which, again, would technically make that a drug. So any benefits that you get from CBD, if they're not psychosomatic, if they actually are pharmacological, uh, then these things have to now be regulated as drugs, or you can't claim them. You know, then it's just uh, you put it in there and you kind of wink at your consumer and say, "Ah, oh, this is a good, uh, <laughs> this is a good ingredient <laughs> in there," but we can't tell you what it does. And so I, I don't like this kind of marketing. Um, and it, it's interesting to see kind of research going on here, and that it had any kind of pharmacological effect is is interesting. I mean, that's kind of been theorized that that actually happens. But I think it is notable to say that there was a large percentage of the effect that was uh, psychosomatic. And I think uh, right now what you could say CBD does beyond uh, being a, an oil emollient in your products, uh, it doesn't seem to be do much just at the moment. Yeah, well, I, as even they say, the data is exciting, but it's complex. Um, they do note that it has a drug effect, so I think... Hi, that should be a wake-up call to the cosmetics industry, um, you know, that we shouldn't be really promoting it. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I thought that was interesting out of this study. It's the fact that the study was even published, and people may not think this is a big deal. We've been hearing about CBD a ton, but there isn't a whole lot of data out there on what it is exactly doing in the body. Are there any benefits? And the studies are really just starting. I think we're going to see a lot more studies being published. And you may be wondering, we've heard all about CBD. Why is it that there's not a lot of scientific data? And that is because CBD wasn't typically accessible by research organizations. Most research organizations, or a lot of them, are um, funded through universities or academia, and it just wasn't possible for them to get these compounds. To do any studies, hemp was a controlled substance for quite some time until recently. So I think we're just starting to see the forefront of the scientific literature that's going to come out. And we uh, should definitely keep our eyes on it because I think they're going to do a whole lot. And I just don't think it's going to be, um, you know, the CBD, it's going to be the CBGs and, you know, the other CB alphabets uh, that they say exist. So I think it's going to be a really, int this is, I think is the beginning of an interesting era in research. Yeah, and we will uh, report on it uh, if we see any uh, other uh, studies like this. But remember, if this does actually have an effect of being a pain relief, then uh, that takes us out of the cosmetic realm. And, uh, you know, the FDA is certainly keeping watch on this, too. Yeah, and we're definitely going to report if we see any quackery on this. Quack, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to some beauty science questions. Well, we got an audio question. Oh, yeah, an audio question from someone with the coolest name. I feel like I say that every show, but we just have so many cool fans. And uh, this question is from Captain Glowgetter. All right, here, let me call that up. Hi, Mary. Hi, Valerie. 
Um, I'm a long-time listener. I love you guys, and I'm obsessed with the information that you put out and so incredibly grateful for it. There's so much, um, well, there's so much BS and beauty, I guess. Okay, my question. Barry, on 242, you discussed high-frequency treatments and how they're basically a gimmick, and I was almost heartbroken because I really, really value your opinion but at the same time, I'm an esthetician, a new esthetician, I'm a baby one, but just got out of school, and I have been doing high frequency, and I've been really into it, high frequency, galvanic, indirect, direct. Um, I think these treatments are really useful, and I've really seen a difference. I can zap a zit or a fever blister down if I catch it early enough and make it completely gone in like three or four 20-minute sessions. Um, do you have any advice on, on why you think it's gimmick? Have you had much experience with it? Please advise, because I know I've helped girls with it. You guys are amazing. I love your show. I love that you can't be bought. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye. All right. Oh, well, now I feel bad. <laughs> I oh, didn't. why? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess I should... Uh, put my position out there, right? And I would say this, before looking at any data or studies, the first thing you have to understand about beauty devices is that there has always been a market for these things, and they almost always overpromise and underdeliver. Mm-hmm. So right out of the gate, I'm just skeptical of any beauty device, all right? <laughs> There's that. Um, also, you have to understand that most people... They don't want to ever believe that they're being fooled. And and in general, people would rather believe something that is false than to believe that they have been fooled. Uh, It's the lesson that we kind of learn, you know, that the emperor's new clothes, you know, that fable. (laughs) I mean, the bottom line is that when it comes to devices, the vast majority of them have been shown to be gimmicks and people who have bought them um, are hesitant to believe that. Now, you're using them in a professional setting. Um, I would have a little more faith in those kinds of things, uh, but not a lot more faith. And that's kind of based on, I don't know, my general skepticism, but also looking at the available data out there, like the available studies, which essentially there aren't a lot of available studies. Now, I don't think that people should be cynics, so... I want to provide you with kind of a method of how you can not fool yourself, or at least the method that I follow. So if we can't really trust that the marketer of the products, and and the the reality is uh, when you go through school to become an esthetician, a lot of the educational material is put out by brands. Um, It's not necessarily put out by people who have uh, an unbiased stake in what they're teaching you. Um, and, and that's okay. There could be some good information there, but you have to be a little bit skeptical of even that kind of information because it is on some level coming from marketers. So if we can't trust the marketers, we can't necessarily always trust our own judgment, but you know, what should you trust? And for this, I, you know, I say you have to look at the scientific literature. Ideally, there will be controlled studies that compare the treatment versus no treatment. Uh, And then also versus the best treatment out there. And as you can imagine, this is very hard to do since it costs money to 
do studies like this. And there aren't a lot of companies that are willing to just spend money to find out that something doesn't work. (laughs) You know, this happens not only in the beauty device area. I think it happens everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, cosmetic raw material companies are not bringing you studies that say, oh, this new material that we, you know, invested millions of dollars in, uh, yeah, it doesn't really do anything better than mineral oil. Sorry. (laughs) Nobody's going to do that, right? So the studies that they do bring you, it's going to be biased. Like, there's a positive bias out there. And so you just have to kind of verbally or mentally correct for that, and that's kind of what I do. You know, admittedly, sometimes maybe I'm more cynical about the world than I should be. Uh, and, you know, cl- clearly Valerie and I sort of fall on different uh, ranges of skepticism. And there's some on... things I'm more cynical than you about. Not too many. That, but... that <laughs> I, I'm sure that is absolutely true. Uh, but there are still uh, published studies uh, on some things, right? And unless you are steeped in the research the best you can do, thing you can do is take a recent look, a look at a recent review articles on whatever topic you're looking at. And review articles are essentially summary articles of all the research that's been done thus far, or as much as they, the researchers could find. Uh, review articles look at the strengths and weaknesses of all the research, and they, they try to put all of the research together and then come to some conclusion. This is going to help you avoid the problem that you see in the media, where some individual study gets kind of hyped up a lot more than it's warranted. So I looked for high-frequency treatments, and you know I found some specifically related to acne. And there was a review paper published in the journal Scars, Burns, and Healing uh, in January of 2018. And they concluded that uh, ablative lasers worked, although they were painful. So ablative sort of uh, burns off the top layer of your skin. So Mm -hmm. it kind of hurts. But they do help, uh, you know, make acne scars look better. Uh, Non-ablative lasers, which don't, which aren't as, as strong, they they just didn't work as well, but they were less painful, and they worked a little bit. But things like fractional radiofrequency microneedling and radiofrequency were said to be slightly inferior to those of the non-ablative lasers. And the researchers concluded that there is an overall lack of high-quality evidence about the effects of different interventions like these. And so, you know, with little good evidence to support their use... <laughs> It still sounds like a gimmick to me. Now, your particular experience uh, might convince you that it works, Uh, but uh, the science uh, doesn't necessarily support that. Well, and here's where I come in. Basically, I really like high-frequency treatments. I'll I'll tell you why, Perry. First of all, I feel like it works. And if it's the placebo effect, that's awesome. It's still working, right? But I really think it works. So have uh, you ever had this done to you? I have not. No, no. Perry, you are, when you come to L.A., we are going to the spa, and you're going to get a facial. I mean it. You know, I say, oh, Perry, you should try this. I mean it. The <laughs> next time you come to L.A., we're going to the spa, and I'm going to oh, direct them on what to do. And I, I want your feedback. So I uh, am prone to adult acne, which is... I mean, I guess like kind of annoying because I never had like a single, I had like one zit in high school and now I just have like pimples all the time. And at the end, end of my facials that I get, 
they take out this little device and it just smells like electrons. Like it's, it's very ozonic and it's mm. little like little electrical charges on my face. And they put it over the, the pustules and just kind of hit the whole area. And they say, uh, you know, this is what my esthetician told me. And I never fact checked it because I feel like, you know, it kind of seemed like a silly thing to fact check. And now I'm like, sure. well, I probably should have sure. fact checked it, but it works. Right. So like, why bother? And, uh, Basically, they just zap your skin, and she says that it has something to do with the bacteria in the pustules, that it helps break that apart to help accelerate healing. That's what she said. I don't know where she got her information from, but I'm going with it, and I really enjoy it. When I have a pimple, and she just I feel like it's taken care of at the end of my facial, and it goes away. Well, you know, I do want to add that... You know, even if you are fooling yourself and it makes you feel good, there's really no good reason to stop. So, so thanks. You know, using these devices are generally safe. Uh, and even if they're not really providing some scientifically provable benefit, you know, if it makes you happy, whether it really works or not, does that really matter? I guess that's true. <laughs> right, so yeah. That's the way I, anyway. you know, you kind of look at them. Um, and, you know, you don't want to follow my skincare routine, which is, you know, I wash my face with shampoo. No, so. you don't. You don't. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> Although one thing I keep saying is I got to get you a skincare routine. And for one month, I want you to be dedicated to it. That would be so amazing. I, I would follow it. I just, uh, it, it's, I'm not sure it would solve a problem that I think I have. <laughs> but Well, it'll solve a problem I think you have. <laughs> It's not about what you think, Perry. Ah. Well, it's like Mr. Cosmetic Chemist. He thinks he has perfect skin, right? And no, I think he has some problems. You know, needs a little anti-wrinkle here, there, sunscreen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, I don't think I have perfect skin. I just don't even think about skin. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you'd have to think about your skin. You do. Anyway. <laughs> All right, our next and last question comes to us from Fiona, a very valuable patron on Patreon. She asks, hi, Beauty Brains, I have a question. Does letting hair stay damp for a long time, for example, putting damp hair in a bun so it dries more slowly than leaving it down, do more damage than just getting it wet in the first place? Have you heard this before, Perry? Yeah, no, uh, a fascinating question. And I'm trying to think about back when I did a lot of uh, tress work, did we ever do something like this? And I, I don't think if I specifically looked at this, probably mostly because it's hard to really quantify damage to the level that you would need to compare these two things, right? It is, yeah. When you bleach a tress and you don't bleach a tress, yeah, you can tell there's damage. But when it's uh, the kind of damage that you're comparing between these two. So if, if there is a difference, it's certainly not going to be a huge amount. Yeah, I don't think it's noticeable. And in fact, I actually think that it probably does less damage to your hair than if you were to heat style it just because heat is so damaging it from hair. But that wasn't the question. Does it do more damage than just getting it wet in the first place? Uh, so hair is wet. Um, does it do more damage than if you were to just get it wet and somehow magically dry yeah i feel like one time i saw something about this and it's going to take quite a bit of time to jog my memory uh for where i saw or maybe i've even asked this question before in my younger years and i just i'm not sure i mean we do know that water does uh, you know have some swelling capacity to hair and i, I guess in theory if you have this really prolonged 
time of swelling before uh, the water leaves the hair and goes back into the atmosphere or whatever. And, you know, could there be some damage on the hair? I don't think it's something that anybody would notice. I, I don't think it's it's like perming or coloring or thermal styling. Yeah, if if there is a if there is a difference, it wouldn't be it would be very small, uh, tough to measure. Well, you know, it's actually interesting about this air drying when you do uh, evaluation on tresses. We don't actually usually blow dry the hair. We let it air dry and normalize back to room temperature at whatever humidity it's at. So that's actually part of our protocol. Uh, Very rarely do we do uh, thermal drying unless specifically a protocol calls for it. And even, um, you know, some of the third-party testing facilities we use, almost everything um, is air dried. And I think if that played a critical role in damage, they wouldn't dry the hair like that. You have more control if you let it air dry versus blow dry. Because if you blow dry it... uh you know, it's tough to get an entire tress, the same amount of air blowing through the tress the entire time. So you're going to have a yeah. one spot on the tress that has more air on it than the other spot. So it could be more complicated. Just air drying is a lot less complicated when you're studying. And so, yeah, I, I don't think this would be a noticeable difference there. That's a good question. Interesting question. Yeah. And if we find out more information, um, we'll come back to you on it. We will. There seems like so much basic information about hair that isn't exactly known. Uh, it's just because nobody really spends the money to public to to study it and then publish it publicly, right? So people over at Unilever or P and G are going to have studies that they've run internally, but they probably didn't. Unless they could figure out some way to uh, market, <laughs> it'll help their marketing. They're not going to publish it. It's, it'll be just used in their research. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's so much other research to be had. I'm sure many people say, oh, well, this is really simple or fundamental, or maybe there's already basic information in place that says, you know, it just don't even go there. It's well accepted that it's negligible. Sometimes that happens as well. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have, everyone. We're ready to go to bed. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Valerie, for making the time while you travel. And thanks so much to our fans for listening. Hey, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. You, you heard one of we our are? Pa- yeah, one of our patrons got their question answered, and we uh, prioritize patron questions. So if you want to support the Beauty Brains on Patreon, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheBeautyBrains and subscribe. And if you get a chance, please go over to Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show read your great comments and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Or if there's something on Spotify, you can review us there and say, Hey, we love those guys there. Yeah. We don't really know how it works. We don't, (laughs) but we do read them when we see them. Yeah. And if you have a question, you can just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And uh, maybe you hear your voice on the show. Also, you can ask us a question on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains. And we have a Facebook page. And you can also catch Valerie on Clubhouse. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I can't believe you're doing a show without me. <laughs> we'll have to do our own Clubhouse. We will. 
Yeah. If you're on Clubhouse, you can look for Valerie and Perry, and we're there. So just follow us there. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>